I'm a man that was suffering from mental issues as far back as my teenage years. And I couldn't function and I couldn't cope and I hid it very well. And I hurt a lot of people. I was just completely screwed up. On January the 2nd, I planned that I was going to end my life and I was in complete control. Even put pillows down for my back. I felt the world would be better off without me. Dubai police were looking for me, found me somehow, gave me CPR and brought me back. When I opened my eyes and sort of saw these five guys in local dress, I actually thought they were angels. Hi, and welcome to Let's Listen with Kieran McBreen. My name's Andrew Ward, and Kieran's here with me tonight. Hi, Kieran, how are you today? I'm wonderful, Andrew, thank you. And a really powerful show tonight. We've got Chris Hale, whose story is that he actually had tried to commit suicide, and it was Dubai police that saved him. Yeah, I mean, Chris's story, Andrew, is is extremely powerful, you know. Um, He was in a really dark place, and, um, you know to the extent where he's seen no way out. Um, he lost his complete purpose of life. Um, he was in lots of pain. And, um, you know, without giving too much away, his life was saved by the police. And it was through the kindness of strangers that Chris is here, still here with us and was on the show tonight. So let's get straight into it. This is Chris Hale. Chris, thank you so much for coming today. It's a pleasure. Chris, tell us, what is your big why? What brings you here? Really, it's to do what I've been doing for the past 18 months or so, which is really driving the awareness regarding mental illness, depression, suicide, and really with regards to uh, what I'm doing now with my business, Mindforce, and my business partner, Simon Walker, is that we're building a community, and we're really trying to break that stigma in terms of mental health mental illness and depression and what it all means and and, and really look at sort of working and delivering more options to people out there through not just ourselves or our partners who are medical partners, but people such as the DHA, Dubai police who who actually ultimately saved my life two years ago on January the 2nd, 2020. And yeah, just really sort of trying to make a difference in the region. Thank you so much for that, Chris. You mentioned the police saved your life. Mm. Tell us your story. It started 40 years ago, to be honest with you. I'm a man that was suffering from mental issues as far back as my teenage years. Really not understanding what I was going through uh, for many years between sort of 1980s, the 1990s and even the early 2000s, um, I always knew I was, I was ill and I always knew that I had issues. I'm, I'm, I'm a very confident guy, but I was really insecure and, and, and I was like a chameleon underneath this sort of outside looking of being confident and alive and awake and really on it and enjoying what I was doing. I was, I was in a very bad way with depression and it got to, a stage where 
you know, I was hiding it with medication and, and, and alcohol and, 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 and other outside options because I didn't want to I didn't want to let people know that I wasn't feeling great. And, you know, I was feeling very suicidal for many years. The position with it was was I didn't understand why I was ill and, and, and there was nothing out there for you to reach out to back in the old days, uh, whether it be work, personal. The only thing that you had was something like the Samaritans. You know, it, was, it wasn't seen as an illness at them days. You know, in, them, in the sort of 19, 1990s to early 2000s, it was, you were sort of just seen to get over these things because you couldn't see it. And I, I moved to Dubai in 2013 really to escape the UK and to escape what I was going through, which was a good thing and a bad thing because I was still, I was very, very ill. And it all came to a head where I'd lost businesses. Um, I had my own businesses in the UK. I had my own businesses here and I couldn't function and I couldn't cope and I hid it very well. And I hurt a lot of people and it got to a stage from probably 2017, when I was in a quite a, a serious relationship, that I couldn't do deal with it anymore. And, and in 2019, where I'd been practicing to end my life, and you know, I, I was I had sort of really severe depression, clinical depression, with all the different traits that you can have, which are, you know, you don't sleep well, you're eating, and your your mood patterns. You don't like doing things that you used to like to do. You couldn't go to work. I couldn't get up in the morning. Uh, I used to flitter from job to job. I just couldn't. I just couldn't function. And I sort of opened up in August, September, 2019, to the person that I was in a relationship with and in love with. And and and, you know, the the position with it was was uh, I I broke her heart and 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 I became homeless. I lost everything and. So I was sleeping rough. This is probably September 2019. And this went through a few, a few months of being in a bad place. And then I was helped by British Dads Dubai. I was sitting in McDonald's and I saw a post on British Dads and I'd never been on there before. And I saw this post where somebody was asking to help them with their financial issues. And I just wanted somewhere to live. And I just wanted someone to help me. And, and I did a post and about five minutes later, 10 minutes later, I got a call from a British dad and his name was Kevin Cotty. And Kevin's cousin is Tony Cotty, the footballer. Kevin comes from East London where I'm from. So I thought, you know, maybe there's somebody that I can get that can help me. And he said, look, get in a cab, you're coming to live with me. And I'd never met him before. Uh, he told his wife five minutes before I arrived that I was moving there. Uh, I had nothing. I was homeless. You know, my highlight of my day was sitting in McDonald's having a coffee and a donut because I knew it was I knew it cost five dirhams. And, you know, I was in I was just completely screwed up. I got some some help in terms of just people around me during that time of the end of 2019. But then I um, I, I felt I had to leave. I, I felt I was a burden. And that was always what I thought I was, was a burden. And I couldn't tell people that I was really suicidal. And I went through Christmas 2019 on my own, and that was very difficult. And 
I was, you know, all the thoughts of how do I end this? Because it wasn't so much that I wanted to end my life for any other reason apart from I wanted the pain to stop. And so January, New Year's Eve was a, a disaster for me. And on January the 2nd, I planned that I was going to end my life and I was in complete control. And I did a post which was hi dads, bye dads. Um, and then I shut all my electronics down, my phone, my computers, everything else, got ready for it, was sober, complete control, even put pillows down for my back because I've got a bad back. I, you know, I knew exactly what I was doing and I, I felt the world would be better off without me because I just felt as though I couldn't carry on. And, and you know, the, the, you, you get to a stage where life wasn't worth living, but no one wants to take their life. I dare anyone to tell me that they're 100% involved, you know, in, in, in confident in, in ending their life. And I started talking to somebody, a British dad, that morning, and he was going to help me out. And after the conversation, I actually messaged him back because I didn't want help. I didn't, I felt as though, you know, what's the point of someone helping me when I'm completely useless? And uh, so I messaged him and said, look, don't worry about it. Goodbye. And this guy was uh, Vic Villani, another British dad who's become a very good friend. And he heard this. And, and when I did the Hi Dads, by Dads, all of a sudden the place went completely mental, if you excuse the pun. Uh, when people were sort of looking for me. Vic phoned the police five or six times before they took it seriously that there was a British man that was going to end his life. All this time I was practicing what I was going to do in terms of taking my life. I won't say how, but, um, you know, the position with, with it was that I did. And Dubai police were, were looking for me. They triangulated my phone found me somehow through whatever means that they have and broke into the place where the bedsit that I was in, I was against the door. So they came up through the window on the first floor, found me uh, non-responsive, gave me CPR and brought me back. You know, the weirdest thing was that when I opened my eyes and sort of saw these five guys in local dress, I actually thought they were angels. Sounds a bit pathetic, but you know, you, you, and I burst into tears and, 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 you know, they said, just take it easy. We're going to get you to hospital. And they took me to hospital and I spent uh, many times, a little while in uh, Rashid psychiatric hospital uh, where I was getting certain help, but that's where I met Dubai police. And they said something to me that if you don't mind me telling you this very quick story that I met two people, they came over with chocolates and flowers and shook my hand and, I said uh, to the, the guy, I said, you know, hi, nice to meet you, but who the beep beep are you? And he said, uh, we're Dubai police. He said, this is Dubai and this is your home. We're here to look after you. And from then onwards, it, you know, they contacted my family and uh, they made a real effort to sort of look after this guy. And, you know, afterwards, finding out who was looking for me, there were people middle of the night driving around Dubai looking for me. It was it went viral. There were hundreds of people, so I gather. And yeah, so we went to the hospital and, and, and sort of the recovery process started there and the sort of change in my life started there. I was, I was, you know, that was my, that was really my second chance in life.
Chris, first of all, thank you so much for opening up and sharing your story with us. Um, I fully appreciate how difficult this could be. So, so we really appreciate that. Thank you, Chris. For our listeners out there, you you, you mentioned the phrase a couple of times: practicing to end your life. Do you mean here that you always had an image of how you wanted to go about this? No, I, I tried with uh, different processes. Started with medication. Even my partner, who had a very bad kidney infection, I was taking her tablets because I knew that they might help because they were strong. I would practice hanging myself in the garden. This was when I was with her. This was before I even actually, you know, this is four or five months before I did what I did. And I was thinking of, I mean, the one thing with depression um, is that, you know, you think about, if you're really ill, you're, you're thinking about suicide six, seven times a day. If not, it's always in your mind. And, and you know, I'd go out in the middle of the night and walk around the streets and stand on bridges and sort of think about how I could do it. You know, you don't want to do it, but I felt as though there was nothing left. I'd ruined so many people's lives. I'd hurt so many people. I'd destroyed marriages I'd hurt my son I'd hurt my mother I'd hurt my friends and I'd lied to a lot of people not because I was a liar but because I didn't want anyone else involved and so anyone that would say you know oh this that and the other everything was I'm all right Jack you know I was the man back in the day where everyone would come to me for advice and you know when I was working and running media teams and publishing houses and had staff and friends you know I was the person that they would ask for advice from and I was the one that was completely and utterly useless. And I hid it so well, you almost become an actor. You know, you have that cape over you of, I'm all right. But when you hit those four walls on your own, and that, and, and a lot of it was to do with things like my divorce and other areas that set me off. And, and because I destroyed my marriage, you know, you go into those little, those four walls, you know, like, you know, the little room that you might be sitting in now, and you're just completely lost. It sounds, Chris, that uh, what people seen on the outside is very different. That was actually happening on the inside. I've, I've got my notes here. I've got the class clown. You mentioned about being a teenager. You know, would you say that you were, you were demonstrating these type of traits because you did mention that you always knew there was something not right here? I mean, I don't mind talking about it because my, my late, my father has passed away now, but it started with my, my dad was very, very, very violent towards me. And, and, and I was always, I was the eldest son and, and I would, nothing was ever good enough. And, and he really battered me down to almost sort of submissive scenario. And, and I was always very good at sport and I never got support. And, you know, I, if, if I got a bad result, I got a black eye, you know, and, and, and he became very, sort of insecure in are things right are things wrong and and you know I see things very black and white even now and it's better now that I see it black and white but you know I wish that I could have and this is what's happening now which makes it so appealing for people that can get help now is that back in the day you couldn't do it um you know you walked into hospital and say I'm not feeling great mentally well what are you doing you're thrown into a psychiatric hospital or you know, are you put under this sort of routine of very, very strong medication where, you know, it could be just the fact that you've lost kilter and you've lost your structure. But ultimately, you know, we all go back to the old days when you were kids, when you would say, oh, he's mental or he's mad. And, you know, that it was almost seen as a bit of a joke. Um, you know, you wouldn't joke if someone walked into a hospital with a broken arm. So why would you walk into 
You know, why would you take it differently if someone walked in and went, I want to end my life. I'm not well. Such a fantastic way of putting it there, Chris. And you, you are completely right, you know. Um, and we're very lucky that in today's society that mental health is taken much more serious. Chris, if I can take you back to the, the hospital room with the two policemen. Hmm. What happened next? Well, after that, it was a case of out of the hospital. I think because I was British, and this is, and I say this quite seriously, they took, a, they made a real effort to help me, and it maybe was because I was a UK citizen, and the relationship between the UAE and the UK has always been very strong. And I, you know, the the fact that I had I had twenty four hour guard in the psychiatric hospital because, you know, I will, I was in that hospital when. If you can imagine or have ever seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest or, you know, seeing people walking around, you know, really in a bad way, you know, rattling and wanting to kill people. And I bumped in, you know, there were so many different nationalities in the hospital. You know, there were young Emiratis, there were Africans, there were Asians, there were Filipinos. I was the only European. I was the only Brit. I don't know whether it was, it probably was actually, that, you know, a lot of this has changed because... The police saw me as a someone that they'd saved that was British, and you know they were very happy about that. And I I met a lot of them, and they looked after me outside of that. They put me up in a hotel um, because I had nowhere to live. And you know it, it 2020 was really weird. They they they, they flew. I, I flew back to the UK. I reconnected with my son. I hadn't seen him since he was 17. I hadn't seen my mum and. I was overstay. They cancelled that. I was, you know, I I'd, I had so many different, so many um, uh, illness parts of the illness that were that were really just controlling my life. And and you know, I went back and told my story. And when I came back here, I I did a post where I said sorry and and I opened up about the fact that I hurt people. I'd lied to people. I'd broken the heart of the women I, the, you know, my ex-wife and the woman I loved over here. And and people over here that had, had shown a lot of faith in me and people that I'd employed who I'd lost their jobs because I'd blown businesses worth a lot of money because I could not cope and I could not make decisions. And when I came back, it was interesting after sort of seeing my family and seeing my friends and they all said to me, look, you know, we're glad you're alive, man. And, and, and you know, my mum's saying to me that she was proud of me and it made me realise that I wanted to do a little bit more. And then COVID kicked in which is a whole new ballgame. COVID effectively helped me because it gave me a little bit of time to get used to what I was going through while everyone else's lives were being turned upside down because mine was already upside down. I couldn't go any darker than basically not breathing. And so anything to me was a bonus. But I sort of got wrapped in the fact that people started coming forward. And Dubai police wanted to know more about what depression, mental health, suicide was all about. I met over 100 people that had committed or attempted suicide um, over 2020 and 19 because it was a criminal offence then. And, you know, it's not, they've changed the law since then. You know, now they help and they empathise and they sympathise and they get it. They're still getting, you know, it's still a process and it's still something. But it, what, what, what I was really impressed about was the fact that we started looking at mental health and mental illness 
not just the fact that, oh, it's blokes that suffer from it. It's the fact that all communities, all ages, all genders, kids, parents, women, men, everyone has this issue. We all have mental health, but we don't all have mental illness. And just on that, Chris, mental illness, for any of our listeners who may have concerns about somebody they know, what kind of signs should people look out for? I look at it in two ways. There are, there's either an issue with your structure or there's the fact that you are medically ill. And in terms of if you are feeling that you're off kilter, where you start to change your behavioral ability in terms of your sleep patterns, your weight goes up and down, you're aggressive, you're, you don't like doing what you used to do, you don't want to go to work, you don't want to make decisions, you don't want to, you don't want to talk to people, you don't want to be seen out in public. My ex over here almost became my comfort blanket. I wouldn't see any of my friends or I couldn't face people. And, you know, these things will take time to get to a stage where they can be medically deemed as, as, as clinical depression. But it's a couple of months. But if you see, if anyone sees a change in someone's whole personality, demeanor, whatever, whether it's in the home, at school, at work, or even just on a golf course or, you know, whatever, in, in, in social life, people stop going out that are always out. And I find it that what we're trying to do now is that it's okay not to be okay. And, and I have a hashtag, which is just reach out. Because ultimately, if you ask that question, you know, you could be saving a life. So what kind of strategies worked for you, Chris, to, to become the man you are today? I really got lost in my situation over, during 2020, because I got dragged along by the Dubai police, effectively, I was working with them and doing whatever they wanted to do. You know, I did a few talks and things like that, and they were helping me, but I wasn't getting better. I went on to Dubai Eye and told my story, and I, I was with Tom Urquhart, and I know Tom very well, and, and Tom hadn't seen me, and he couldn't believe I was the British dad that had tried to end his life. And, and I told my story, and, and the next time I was on, I met this South African guy who came over and gave me this huge bear hug. And I said, who are you? And he went, you saved my life, man. And I said, what do you mean? And he went, well, I was going to win my life. He said, I was listening to your story and I came forward and, and you know, we're friends to this day. And, and I don't look at it as I've saved someone's life. But the fact of the matter is we should all want to do things like that. We should all want to ask and all want to come forward. It is very difficult because it's very difficult for people to talk out and own up to mistakes and weaknesses. And that's a very, very, very difficult thing. And it's easy to say no. It's not easy to say yes. You know, you ask a question of, are you okay? The first thing you want to say is, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, not bad, you know. But they say, would you like help? Uh, no, I'm all right. Thank you, Chris. And for you to, to stop yourself from going back into that place, what coping mechanisms are you are you doing on a on a daily basis? Well, it it actually got to twenty twenty one when I actually realised I hadn't done anything to, for myself, and I was still very ill. Um, I was still having all these thoughts and you know not feeling great, and and so what I did was I I I, I reached out to people that I could talk to, people that I could trust, people that would listen would listen to me. That I wasn't, um, you know, the fact of the matter is 
I had nothing. So I had to, I, I wasn't able to work still, um, but I needed to get better. And so I, I went to see people that helped me meditate, um, which I would never have thought of doing. I'm the biggest cynic in the world. And, and, and you know, that sort of thing to me is was stupid. But now it, it actually calms me down. And I tried to not go on to regular medication because I felt that if I looked at it constructively and sort of painted a picture of where I was, that's where I would actually improve myself. But also doing, also wanting to know a lot more about what mental health and mental illness actually is. And so, you know, and that really drove me in 21 to really sort of get myself together. And, and, and it got to uh, probably November 21 when I actually said to Dubai police, who I was obviously still in contact with, and these guys, you know, I can't speak high enough because, you know, they saved my life and, and they are here to help. And, and you know, we, the, the, the difference with being here and is for people like us is cultural is communication. It's the same for any other community and any other nationality. You know, you automatically go into a, a somewhere where you don't understand the language. You automatically go on the defensive or you don't do it. And so what I said to them was, uh, you know, I want to I look at building a, a, a community of business where we can save lives. And, and But not so much save lives in terms of sending everyone to hospital, because that's not the answer. You know, the fact of the matter is that in the UK, we have this structure of going to your local GP or a counsellor, and then you can actually re really find out what is wrong with you. And if you are, if you do need medical help, then get the medical help. But sometimes it could be the fact that you've lost a job and all you need is a job because you've lost your structure. You're not that man anymore or that woman anymore. It could be with a child that the exams are getting it to them or they, they've got a problem with their body and, you know, they hate the way they look or, you know, social media, bullying, all of these things. If we can actually stop it at source, and a lot of it's to do with financial help and advice. People are scared to go to a bank and say, I'm in a lot of financial trouble. Can you advise and help me? I've done it with people who have been like that. And the banks have said, yeah, you've come and seen us. We will help you. And so, you know, you let yourself get lower and lower and lower and deeper and deeper and deeper into this mire of uselessness because you're getting more in debt or you're not you can't find a job you know or if you're at school you can't do this or the relationship between men and women is going bad and as i said you know covid made a huge difference to people's lives because it turned everything upside down parents had to become teachers parents had to actually live with each other more less than more than eight hours a day so you know if you can be married during covid you can be married for life but at the same time kids never had the communication options. Absolutely. You've hit uh, some phenomenal points there, Chris, that we could talk about all night. But Chris, you know, I've wrote down here inspiration. You know, you're a massive inspiration to so many people. Um, firstly, thank you for helping so many people. But more importantly, thank you for helping you. Because by you getting yourself right, you having this impact on so many other people. So well done to you. Thank you. Chris, what's next for you? Well, what's next is what I'm doing now. And, and with my business partner, as I said, you know, we are working, running a business called Mindforce. We've got other ideas. We're building a community and we want people to help other people. So, you know, the whole thing about mental health and 
mental illness and that stigma is coming to the forefront now. And, and you know, that's very important that you can get help at work. But we're helping people that can't help themselves. So I'm getting calls from, you know, I got a message from somebody the other day and, and who was who said, I, I saw your story and I'm so glad that I reached out to Mindforce because I was going to throw myself off a balcony. Now, this guy had lost everything and that guy started work today. We found him a job and it, it's absolutely tremendous. I just, I met him before I came and did this. And, and it's so inspiring that people will understand that it's not just the fact they need they don't just need medication you know they just need someone to talk to and someone they can trust and communicate with because that's half the battle if you can say i need help then the rest is upwards because everyone will help you you know what's more important than saving a life not nothing as far as i'm concerned Wonderfully put, Chris, and I'm gathering communication is the major ingredient in all of this and in, in how we get people to move forward. And, you know, if, if we don't look short term with medication and focus on long term, focus on the skills in life that we're losing, skills that I'm very passionate about, the talking, the listening, the being present with each other, you know. Okay, well, Mindforce uh, has a website, which is www.mindforceuae.com. I'm sure that we'll post the website. We're also on LinkedIn through Mindforce. We're on Facebook, but also myself and Simon, uh, Simon Walker and mine, Chris Hale, are both on LinkedIn where you can contact us. We don't distinguish whether you have money, insurance or nothing. You know, we've got the, there's the hospital over here, Alamao, which is a specialist psychiatric hospital with an accident and emergency it's free people can use that people now you know we're with the dha who i have to really say respect to because they are now making a huge difference as are the department of of health in the in abu dhabi by offering helplines you know there are there are outside options where people can phone there are ai options there are you know text messaging services there are apps so many people are coming together to make a difference. But also, you know, it can happen to anybody at any age. And, and the fact of the matter is we need community people to come forward, religious leaders, anyone of any, of any nationality can make a difference and can help. And we're open to talk to anybody. You know, we've got other ideas which we'll be announcing very soon in terms of raising awareness with events. I'm going to be doing sort of podcasts as well i'm looking at doing that and we're going to be talking with companies that are going to support us financially because the reason i say financially with companies is the fact that it's not for us it's the fact that if somebody doesn't have anything why would you turn somebody away who might who might end their life you know it's all well and good having a business that makes money and do saving lives or helping people but it's we really want to look at helping people that don't have the facilities to help themselves and believe me, the UAE has a huge, huge population of people who don't have the cover, who don't have the facilities, and who have the language barriers, which they don't understand about where to go. And that's why there'll always be a stigma. But at the end of the day, what's more important, a life or, or, or money or business? I, I, you know, for me, it's a life. And that's why, you know, my guys, Edmund and Simon and myself, are really pushing it with the help from so many people. I'm not going to mention everyone because there's no point. They all know who they are.
Sounds fantastic, Chris. And before we go, the last message to our listeners. It's, it's the hardest thing in the world to ask for help, but don't be afraid to ask for help because people will not turn their back on you. Always choose somebody who is a very, very good friend. If you have a problem, open up to one person that you trust. But also, if you're on the other side and you see somebody who you think is not in a good place or has changed their personality or the way that we're acting, whether it be at work, in the home or at school, just ask the question, are you okay? Because it could be everything that they need and really could actually turn their life around. Beautifully put, Chris. Chris, thank you so much for telling your story. Pleasure. Thank you so much for all the amazing stuff you're doing and well done to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Pleasure, Chris. All the best. Cheers. Thanks. Kieran, that was Chris Hale, a really powerful story, wasn't it? It really was. And it's an absolute credit for Chris to, number one, you know, share his story with us. And uh, number two is all the work he's doing to help other people. It's just phenomenal. And clearly his own pain, he's using his own pains to, um, to support many other people around him. You just wonder what actually goes through people's minds that they, they actually have gone through the process. He was non-responsive when the, the police found him. And to... To come back from that, that, that's quite a thing, isn't it? Well, to go through with it and then to come back from it, that's quite a thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the reality is he, 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 he went to the very end, you know? We hear lots and lots in, in, in the mental health, mental illness industry about people, you know, attempting suicide, you know, but what, was the, what is the real outcome here? Um, Chris's outcome was no more. He wanted his life to end. Um, and with, with phenomenal kindness and care by the UAE police, um, he came out on the other side and he uses that kindness to, to be kind to other people. It's just fantastic the work that he and his uh, business partner are doing to try and find solutions. I, I thought it was great that, you know, he was saying that it's, sometimes it's not about medication. Sometimes it's not seeing a, uh, a therapist. Sometimes it's about just helping people get a job and then that lets help people help themselves. This is exactly it. You know, for me, this was very very powerful part of the story where, where Chris is sharing the strategies that he uses. You know, he mentioned medication and, you know, he, he had a bit of a giggle with that because he, he openly said that it's something he doesn't believe in. And every week, every week we come on and we, we talk about exploring different strategies. And, you know, even if it, if you don't believe in it, try it. You know, it really is a pick and mix. It really is a toolkit. So meditation worked for him. Educating himself worked for him understanding what was going on in his mind clearly had an impact but the most powerful thing for me was him sharing his story the power of this story the power of talking and listening which we say every week these lost skills that we just don't do anymore because our lives are so busy so getting it out there asking for help making people aware that something is not right is the biggest takeaway from that damn interview for me and for me, I think it was with taking on board all of that. The other thing was to talk when there's when you're in that situation, talk and find someone. You know, we talk about it. Let's listen. Find someone to listen, but make sure you're talking. Tell people. I remember going back right to our very first show with Demon Ray. You've got to talk, 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 talk. Find somebody to listen, and that can be if you're in this situation. It can be it can be me. It can be Kieran. It can be a close friend. It can be a complete stranger. It can be a medical therapist but talk, find somebody to listen. Um, 
And with that, that was Chris Hale. This has been Let's Listen with Kieran McBreen and Andrew Ward. And Kieran, I will see you next time. Thank you so much, Andrew. All the best. Mm-hmm.